Climate change is a global phenomenon. But we experience it where we live, in our homes and workplaces, streets and parks, and in our bodies, wherever they're found. For 4.2 million people, that's in Montreal. Welcome to Zone Rouge, CJLO's series about the impact of the climate crisis on Montreal. Montreal has made ambitious targets on climate change. And people in Montreal have made headlines around the world by gathering in the hundreds of thousands to demand action on climate change. But the city is going to be changed by the climate, too. Temperatures aren't expected to dip in Montreal until Friday. The city is urging people to do what they can to cool off. In this series, we'll be exploring the ways climate change is shaping Montreal now and in the future. It's pretty fascinating to see that and see how stronger communities can bounce back from from uh, environmental catastrophes such as that um, together quicker if the bonds are closer together. So. We'll look at how climate change affects the sights and sounds of the city, who's most likely to be impacted, and what some people are trying to do about it. This week, heat waves. At this long-term care home, some rooms still don't have air conditioning. Sylvain Belmar says he's been sleeping in his wheelchair. When there is a heat wave for a long period of time, it was uh, very, very hot outside, and uh, unfortunately, the people that we serve are not well received in um, places where they can find uh, shade and air uh, And that's a problem. We don't take the, the we don't take this as being an important issue. And for the vast majority of us, I guarantee you that even even just that the temperatures that we faced this past summer are nothing of what we're going to face down the road i mean we're going to be facing temperatures quite equivalent to what we see in florida on a regular basis this series was recorded on unceded indigenous land where the ghanian gahaga nation is recognized as the custodians of the lands and waters and in Mi'kma'ki, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. I'm Maura Donovan. Let's get to it. It's 6 a.m. on July 2nd. On Avenue Russell in Mount Royal, a woman opens her door to let her dog outside. She's wearing a tank top and shorts because even though it's early, it's already hot, 30 degrees to be precise. Thanks to the climate crisis, this kind of heat is more and more common. Environment Canada's 2019 report, Canada's Changing Climate, predicted hot extremes will happen more frequently and be more intense due to climate change. But that effect will not be felt equally. 
In this leafy, quiet borough, with its detached houses surrounded by trees and gardens, relief is only one air conditioner away. Head south to LaSalle, and it's a different story. It's 10 a.m. We're standing at the intersection of Newman and Thierry Streets in LaSalle. The thermometer is now at 34 degrees, but with humidity, it's creeping closer to 40. All around us, it's less a concrete jungle than a concrete desert, hundreds of square meters of concrete and asphalt, with no trees or vegetation in sight. And that makes this kind of landscape particularly dangerous. In general, in any city, uh, neighborhoods with lower tree cover, uh, lower income per capita, and more tall structures, built-up structures, tend to have a stronger urban heat island effect. Um, so in Montreal, those tend to be uh, the central and eastern parts of the island, so boroughs in the central and eastern part, um, which in general have a higher population density and less tree cover and harder access to tree cover. My name is Claire Sa, um, and I was a 2019 research fellow with the Samuel Center for Social Connectedness. And we worked together to do some research into the urban heat island effect in Montreal. Sa says she wasn't always interested in the environment. But one summer, she was confronted with how fast it was changing. I, I took a trip to Yellowstone National Park in the U.S. And I just saw uh, when I was there how the glaciers that were there, uh, as well as some other national parks in the Western North America, just have receded so much within only a couple of decades. So that was really the start uh, that sparked my interest in the environment. Of course, Montreal doesn't have receding glaciers, but one thing it does have is the urban heat island effect. So the urban heat island effect is a phenomenon where some urban areas are experiencing significantly higher temperatures than surrounding rural areas. And uh, the characteristics of this new urban landscape uh, contribute to making urban areas a lot hotter, specific parts of urban areas. Uh, like buildings have very high thermal capacity, so they store heat and release heat really slowly, which contributes. Um, and there's low reflectivity of urban uh, like streets and parking lots, which also absorb heat. Um, and there's a reduction of evaporative cooling uh, with the, that comes with the decrease in vegetated areas as well. This effect means that a hot day can feel 12 degrees hotter in urban areas than in rural ones. And on a heat map of Montreal, you can see the red patches blooming in some neighborhoods more than others. LaSalle is one of them. Even within neighborhoods, though, heat doesn't affect everyone equally. And that has to do with what's happening under the skin. As soon as the body starts to warm up, either through running across a parking lot in this baking sun, or from sitting in a hot apartment in LaSalle, it tries to restore balance. And it does so with the movement of blood. One of the things you have to also remember is that to manage that heat, you have to deliver that heat to the uh, skin surface too, so that the body can get rid of it through the evaporation or the production of sweat, subsequent evaporation of that sweat, and obviously conducted to the skin via an increase in skin blood flow. This is Glenn Kenny, director of the Human Environmental Physiology Research Unit at the University of Ottawa. So the body's always reacting to its environment, and we have, you know, sensors on the skin surface that essentially allow it to detect these rapid changes in the environmental conditions. Our bodies are very fine-tuned to trying to 
uh, balance the rate at which we gain loose heat. When air temperature gets higher than skin, the only way you can get rid of heat is through the uh, evaporation or production of subsequent evaporation of sweat to keep that uh, body cool. Kenny says when bodies are well adapted to the heat, say through regular exercise or regular exposure to hot conditions, they'll sweat profusely to bring the temperature down. The heart also works harder to pump blood to the skin, circulating as much as four times more blood per minute than on a normal day. But in some conditions, that's not possible. So let's imagine we're in an apartment in LaSalle. Like nearly half of all households in Montreal, there's no air conditioning and the fans stop working. Humidity is preventing evaporation too, because the humid air can't absorb any more water. Instead, we're sitting here in a pool of our own sweat, getting more and more dehydrated. And for some people, this is an even more dangerous scenario. So vulnerable people essentially are at risk because they have a really two simple two things. They have a reduced ability to, number one, thermoregulate, which means that their sweating response and the changes in skin blood flow are compromised. That's something we know that occurs with aging, and it's more pronounced in patients with chronic disease, such as diabetes and uh, hypertension and other non-communicable diseases. Also, there's impairments in cardiovascular function. Kenny has done work in his lab to show how some people are more vulnerable. Among elderly people, for example, this can mean that after several hours in the equivalent of a hot apartment, their blood pressure drops. This can lead to heart attacks. But even as something as innocuous as dizziness can be dangerous. So you may have elderly patients that might not necessarily succumb to the effects of heat stress, but what you have is patients that are at high risk of falls, high risk of other situations that would cause them injury, you know, broken hips or what have you, because they lack the ability to maintain adequate blood pressure under high heat stress conditions. In some years, conditions have been particularly bad, including 66 deaths in Montreal in the first week of July 2018. And extreme heat waves are likely to become more common with climate change. In a high emission scenario, Montreal could have 50 days above 30 degrees every year by 2050. But the fact these extremes are seasonal keeps some people from taking them seriously, Kenny says. Just because we have more of these temperate environments, people think we're safe. And I hear this all the time. Well, we're cool. We're cool. And our temperatures are relatively cool. Well, <laughs> we're the highest risk then because we're not heat adapted. And, you know, even though our work showed that older adults can uh, demonstrate some level of adaptation pre and post summer, the reality will be is that the, the, it, it's, not, it's not fast enough. And the conditions will be so extreme that you got to also remember that you got to to get heat adapted. You got to be in the heat. You got to have some level of exposure to heat. It's just like exercise, right? Many of those affected by heat waves are stuck inside. In 2018, 80% of people who died died at home. But those without shelter struggle too. And to see that, let's head back north to the plateau, a neighborhood with plenty of heat islands of its own. It's now early afternoon. With humidity, the temperature is now 40 degrees, as it was last July, the second hottest July on record. On Park Ave, a group of people are milling around on the baking sidewalk outside the Notre-Dame de la Salette church. 
In the basement, a low barrier service called the Open Door has just finished serving lunch. The center is not a perfect escape. There's no air conditioning, for one thing. But Open Door Executive Director Melody Racine says for many of the people they serve, there's nowhere else to go. Uh, unfortunately, the people that we serve are not well received in um, places where they can find uh, shade and conditioning. Um, so they they have to come to our place. Uh, so people have to find refuge. They have to find places to be in order to not uh, not suffer from the heat. It creates also at, uh, an impact on how people feel about themselves. Just when you're hot and it's you're sweaty and you need to just rest someplace, it's really hard for them. The city of Montreal does have a strategy for heat waves. This has included door-to-door visits in vulnerable neighborhoods and emergency cooling centers. Yet for the thousands of people experiencing homelessness in Montreal, like many of Open Door's clients, finding shelter isn't straightforward. So the, the, the people that come at the Open Door Montreal, they are uh, unfortunately very pushed aside in many, many places and from different services, even from services that you think... Uh, need to be give service equally to everybody but unfortunately uh, the people that we deserve have uh, have received have, have not received the same treatment that uh, others will so uh, like you said or in a park or trying to find shade sometimes uh, they're going to be approached by the police and asked to leave and they're going to be given reasons like making too much noise or uh, drinking in public, or um, sometimes it's I don't know how we say in English usually. Uh, so mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna pee. So they're gonna they're gonna be pushed away because uh, they don't want to be people don't want to see them. Unfortunately, also most of the I don't know restaurants, coffees, uh, and places like that won't tolerate them as well because of. Uh, it creates a, they have the feeling that it creates insecurity for other customers. Some of the libraries are very generous of their time. Librarians are very tolerant, but unfortunately, sometimes uh, the people are going to make too much noise or they're going to be drunk and create a situation that uh, the librarians have to ask them to leave. And when they are asked to leave, they're back out on the street where the black and gray of asphalt, concrete, and shingle have been absorbing the heat of the sun all day long. This is particularly true in low-income neighborhoods. One solution is to make them more green. Small ones there and big ones, and trees, bushes, small ones and big ones. We have vegetation that uh, is uh, around houses, around buildings. Uh, we can plant trees on the streets as well, uh, but we can as well have vegetation on top of uh, of the infra- of our structures. My name is Melanie Baudouin. I'm from the National Institute of Public Health. I work as a coordinator of the climate change team. Other projects, you have um, parking lot. Uh, parking lots uh, are one of our major problem problem i would say in cities because it's a very dark uh, infra- infrastructures uh, so it's a very important heat uh, islands in the cities 
And uh, you have some initiatives that uh, came came in and said, well, we need to work on this problem. We will plant trees around our parking lot. We will reduce our um, parking spaces uh, to, in, in order to, to make sure that uh, we have more places for trees. There, there were some uh, studies that were made. You have a difference of uh, seven to eight degrees uh, with a, a car that's parked under a tree instead of in the parking lot with no trees. What will have an impact as well is uh, the height of the uh, of the vegetation. So, very high trees will have a potential of of shading um, more interesting than smaller vegetation but uh, we need to have as well some smaller vegetation that can keep the moisture of the uh, of the soil greening initiatives are an important part of Quebec's response to the threat posed by heat waves but they can take time to have an effect I, I always uh, like to say that the trees that we plant today, they are our conditioner from for for like in 20, 20 years from now, um, and and it's always in um, in competition with other elements in municipalities that they need to fix right now. In another way, though, greening projects are already having an impact, just not the one people intended. It's early evening, Rue Jarry, in Park Extension. We're only a few blocks away from where we started in Mount Royal, but the picture here couldn't be more different. In Mount Royal, which is already green and leafy, the temperature has started to fall as the sun sets. But on the other side of the Boulevard de l'Acadie, in Park Extension, the thermometer has barely budged. That's because the hard surfaces that make up much of this neighborhood retain heat even after the sun goes down. On top of that, around the world, average nighttime temperatures are rising much faster than days. That's disrupting sleep patterns globally. But in this neighborhood, it's not the only thing keeping people up at night. So the neighborhood has been um, has been changing and very, very quickly. Um, it's been happening for a few years now, and it has really accelerated in the last two years with the opening of the new University of Montreal campus in the south of the neighborhood. Um, we've been uh, we've been seeing rents really skyrocket in the neighborhood. Um, apartments that used to maybe be 700, 800 a month are now going for 1,400. Amy Darwish is a community organizer at the Comité d'Action de Parc Extension. Uh, we're a group that uh, supports tenants in uh, defending uh, their housing rights and Parc Extension. It's historically been a working class immigrant and you know and racialized neighborhood, and. People often refer to Park Extension as one of the poorest uh, neighborhoods, um, not just in the city, but in Canada in general. Maybe you're asking yourself how skyrocketing rents and soaring eviction rates are related to urban greening projects. Park Extension is a perfect example of how they're connected. The neighborhood is getting greener. But that's not always to the benefit of the neighborhood's long-standing residents. You only really sort of need to look at an aerial map of the neighborhood, sort of, you know, you know, uh, with ta- the town of Mount Royal and Outremont to the west and to the south, and then Park X to sort of get a sense 
of, um, of the disparities between the two and the lack of green space that exists here in Park X. For sure, it's come up with tenants, especially with sort of the extreme heat wave that happened in 2018. This neighborhood was actually hit very, very hard by that, since there's very little in the way of parks. For a while in 2018, the air conditioning broke down even in the William Hingston Center, the one cooling center for the entire neighborhood, and people just literally had nowhere to go. It, it is absolutely a problem. At the same time, there's definitely complicating things that come up around push to deal with heat islands. For example, the city's now pushing to build more parks and park X. Uh, there's one centennial park that recently opened to the public this past summer. You know, in a lot of ways, absolutely green spaces are are good places that people can go to escape. Heat waves are important. But we do have to ask ourselves, why did they only start to care about green space when whiter, more affluent people started to move into the neighborhood? Greening measures also fuel real estate speculation by making neighborhoods more desirable. Consider this building at 690 Rue Jarry. The borough is considering an application to demolish it and build a four-floor high-end apartment and commercial complex in its place. That site had been um, had been in the sites of people in the neighborhood for years before that who'd wanted to build a cooperative on it. Um, at the time, the project got shot down because they said the implementation rate uh, was too high. But the fact that the the project wanted to have you know wanted to have green roofs, wanted to have you know gardens on the roof of the building as a way of making it greener, as a way of having green spaces for residents. But the current project that's being proposed also doesn't meet the implantation rate and is provide and is proposing a terrace and a green roof, right? So it's one of those things that who gets those exceptions? Like often what we see in the neighborhood is that they roll out the red carpet. Uh, to rich property developers and refuse to make the same exceptions for the longtime working class racialized na- residents of the neighborhood. And it's a it's also a difficult thing because some like a lot of the opposition to this this new project, for example, is being like it's going to densify the neighborhood, it's going to create more heat islands. And it's like, well, at the same time, like a social housing project mm-hmm. that would be implanted there could also would also potentially densify the neighborhood. Would that necessarily be a bad thing? Like, I think there's ways in which opposition to heat islands can somehow can sometimes play into the gentrification and can lead to a push for projects, you know, that actually end up running counter to neighborhood mobilizations for social housing and for measures that can actually keep tenants in the neighborhood. This eco-gentrification can lead to greening measures aimed at protecting vulnerable residents, instead pushing them aside. That means addressing urban heat islands has to include protecting or increasing affordable housing, if it is to protect the most vulnerable. It also means listening to how residents want their neighborhoods to get greener. Greening is important, uh, but you need to do it with the population, not against them. So you need to um, to increase the information given to uh, citizens. You need to, um, to to have them in the process with you. If you're a city or, or a, a NGO that works uh, with in greening, you need to work with citizens and for their needs, to, to answer their needs. Because if you create uh, green spaces that does not respond to their needs, they won't use it. So you you won't have the health benefit that we could uh, that we could hope for. Some of these benefits are simple, 
like making it easier to walk or bike down the street. But looking to the future impacts of the climate crisis, it's also a matter of life and death. One 2018 study predicted that Canada could see five times more heat-related deaths between 2031 and 2080, so a July with 330 deaths in Montreal instead of 66. Whether Montreal gets to that point depends on the action we take to curb climate change, including meeting the city's targets of becoming carbon neutral by 2050, and whether the city as a whole gets greener, or some parts of the map stay stubbornly red. Patches of green don't only help with heat islands. They could also go a long way towards addressing Montreal's other big threat from climate change, flooding. But when it comes to the green alongside Montreal's historic rivers, much of this has already disappeared. And it would be a shame to lose this. So, I mean, if you're taught for a number of environmental reasons, I mean, there's um, uh, in the fall and mostly the spring, um, this is like a big, big sponge to manage the surface waters. Okay? Um, and there's also the, in, in the case of the heat island effect, uh, you have the trees, you have the river. Uh, when you look at a map of the heat islands, the heat island effect around here, everything is fire engine red. The only green little sort of a uh, triangle is Meadowbrook. That's it. So you lose that, it's done. It's finished. You have here, you know, you have those uh, the CP sorting yards in Côte Saint-Luc. That's massive asphalt. Here it's all built. Uh, massive asphalt on the other side too. Okay. This is, you know, that this is all that's left in this area. How the way water moves around Montreal creates and could mitigate risks from climate change. That's next time on Zone Rouge. This episode was produced by me, Maura Donovan, with production help from Zoe Bailey Stetson. Until next time. <laughs>